I'd like for you to turn to Psalm 140. What I want to talk about tonight, and you'll use a worksheet if you have one, is growing through misunderstanding. Psalm 140, if you have that place, you'll just hold that in just a minute. We'll look at it. Webster says that a misunderstanding means to interpret something incorrectly. To interpret something incorrectly. To fail to understand, to miss in the understanding of something. Now, as it relates to us, it involves two things. First of all, it, it, is, it results from an innocent act or word or implication, something that we do innocently. We say something innocently. We do something innocently. We imply something, and the implication is an innocent implication. And it, it is mistaken to mean something else. Has that ever happened to you? Some word you've said, and what is heard is entirely different than what you said. First thing, it results from an innocent act, word, or implication. Secondly, it results in an offense. An offense is created. This kind of thing happens all the time in the Christian life. You didn't mean anything by it. You did something, you said something, and it was misread, and all of a sudden somebody is offended at you, and they're just so upset, and, and, and you're wondering, you know, what did I say? You know, what did I do? It's a part of the growing of Christians. It's a part of this process of maturing to be misunderstood. So as far as it relates to us, it's an innocent act that's misread, producing an offense in which somebody is offended at you and you didn't mean it to be that way at all. You didn't deliberately set out to cause this reaction. It just happened innocently. Now, it's, there's an illustration of it in, in, uh, that's familiar to us since we study the life of David. I, don't want you to, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. And we're going to look at that again, beginning at verse 6. So if you have, you just keep your place there in Psalm 140 and turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 18. And we're going to begin reading at verse 6. And it happened as they were coming when David returned from killing the Philistine that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul became very angry, for this saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they have ascribed thousands. Now, what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. Now, I want you to understand there are three characters in this scenario, David and Saul and the women. And David has just killed the giant. I mean, you know, this kid, you know, he's just a boy. He's been a shepherd in the, in the fields, can't even shave. He's got a little peach fuzz. This is an innocent, all-American boy, all-Jewish boy. 
And he, and, he, and he goes out one day, gets up one morning, and he, under the leadership of God, he goes out and he does what he thinks is right. He fights the giant, kills him. And the problem is that David has already been anointed king, but the people don't know it. In fact, he's not even, it's not even dawned on him what is involved there. He's just an innocent guy doing what he thought he ought to do for his country. There's Saul. And Saul is a very insecure man. He's jealous and envious. The slightest thing triggers his insecurity, his jealousy. And here are these women, and they're innocently singing this song, you know, with tambourines, and they're just singing the song. David is, Saul has slain his thousands, and David has slain his ten thousands. And Saul misunderstood the situation. And he thought to himself, this young whippersnapper is out to get my job. Now remember, David isn't out for the kingdom. He just wakes up one day, kills a giant, and Saul is suspicious of him from that day on. Most people believe that that is the background of Psalm 140. Now some of you are smiling tonight because you've been there and you've been misunderstood and one of the most miserable experiences in life is to just be misunderstood when you are innocently involved in something people interpret incorrectly. Now there's a four part to this misery and I want to lay it out for you. Beginning in Psalm 140, the, the, the misery involves four things. First of all, when you're misunderstood, there is a sense of vulnerability. Look at verse 1. Rescue me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men. Verse 4. Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men who have purposed to trip up my feet. And it's obvious that David feels defenseless and unprotected. One of the, one of the uh, uh, spin-offs of being misunderstood is that you are defenseless, vulnerable, and unprotected. You ever notice that that the harder you try to defend yourself when you're misunderstood, the more you're misunderstood. You know, the first thing we want to do is to, you know, to get on the defensive. And we, we try to defend ourselves. And the more we try to straighten it out, the more complicated it becomes. It's happened to you and to me both. And the harder you work at getting, you know, the, the problem solved, the deeper the hole you dig for yourself. Because one of the the uh, byproducts of being misunderstood is that you become totally defensive and unprotected. Secondly, there is exaggeration. Verse 2, who devise evil things in their hearts, they continually stir up wars. Now what happens when somebody has misunderstood, he, he's been offended, there is a misinterpretation and the results is an offense and he's been offended. There begins to be developed in his mind this, these exaggerated thoughts about what happens. That's the next step. It's what happened to Saul. He said, what else can he get except my kingdom? He'll get my family. He'll get my job. He'll, he may even kill me. And all these thoughts begin ex to run wild through his mind and these exaggerated ideas begin to develop and they just grow and they grow until a person begins to believe an out and out lie. It's hard to believe this, but I heard about this jealous husband. 
thought he saw his wife's car, you know, downtown one day, and he got home. He said, what'd you do today, honey? Oh, I didn't do anything. Just, you know, worked around the house. He thought, uh-huh, I know I saw her car downtown. So he goes out in the garage, and he has a little notebook with him, his little pocket notebook, and he takes down the, the uh, mileage on the odometer, you know. I'm just going to check this out. And he gets home, he gets back in his den, he sits there, and all of a sudden he just, these thoughts begin to exaggerate and build and grow in this insecure mind. He's got, you know, the odometer reading. The next day, he said, what'd you do today, honey? He said, well, I went to the market. Which, which store did you go to? She said, well, I, you know, I went down. He said, uh-huh. It's three miles down to that grocery store, and you've been 12 miles on the odometer, you know. Exaggerated thoughts begin to grow and develop and exaggerate and grow and develop and exaggerate. Third, there is apprehension. Exaggeration and apprehension. Verse 3, they sharpen their tongues as a serpent. Poison of a viper is under their lips. And you notice a little word, selah, there. Now that little word is, 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 is put in as a kind of a musical pause in the Psalms. And what it's there for is, to, is for a person to, to stop and to, and to contemplate and to think for a moment. It's to allow what has been said to soak in. Now when there's been a misunderstanding, their apprehension develops on both sides. The person who has been misunderstood begins to have a little apprehension about what's being said about him. And he's thinking in, the, in his mind, that they sharpen their tongues as a serpent. I can just imagine what he's saying about me now. You know, He's been offended by me, and I wonder who he's telling. You know, I wonder what he's saying about me. And there becomes this kind of a feeling of paranoia. On the other hand, the person who has been offended because of his misinterpretation, begins to sharpen his tongue indeed like a, like a viper. And he begins to share, you know, hey, did you know that, what this person did? And there begins this apprehension on both sides. I have been offended and I have offended. I wonder what they're saying. It leads to the fourth misery, which is suspicion. Verse 4, Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked, Preserve me from violent men who have purposed to trip up my feet. There is suspicion. It describes violence. It, it, it pictures one who sets a trap. And, and when there is apprehension and suspicion, a person is not able to think rationally. All the misery of being misunderstood. Pamela Ruel has a little book entitled Faith Is, and she makes this statement, Faith is developed through hardship, duplicity and deception, conflict, failure and misunderstanding, not through stained glass or sweet religious props. Now what, I want, what, what I'm, who I'm talking to tonight are people who have been misunderstood. You may be hoping for happy days and a happy, you know, ever after faith, but it probably won't happen. For David was a man misunderstood, and he lived until Saul's death under his suspicion. Well, here's how you can grow through misunderstanding, verses 6 through 8. 
I said to the Lord, Thou art my God. Give ear, O Lord, to the voice of my supplications. First thing in growing through misunderstanding is to declare your allegiance to the Lord. Now, he said, I said that. I mean, he verbally expressed his allegiance. He didn't just think it. He verbalized his allegiance in the living Lord. Now, I think there are times when we have to, in prayer, just declare our allegiance to God. Look at it. Thou art my God. Give ear, O Lord, to the voice of my supplications. You understand me. You, you understand my motive. You're my God. I'm going to depend on you. This is my uh, verbal allegiance. I commit myself again. Secondly, he reminds himself of the Lord's protection. Now, now look at what it says. O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation, thou hast covered my head in the day of battle. He reminds himself that God is going to protect him. You heard about the, the uh, radio preacher who had been, uh, people had been working him over pretty good and giving him a hard time. And he got up one, you know, in his uh, radio pulpit and he said, I'll tell you what, folks, he said, I've just told God on each one of you. That's what the psalmist just said. That's not a bad idea. He said, I've just, I've just taken you to God. I'm going to let God deal with you. He reminds himself that God is going to protect him. You have somebody giving you a hard time? Maybe you're at school and somebody's really working you over at the at job, at, at the job, somebody misunderstands you, and just there's just this conflict that goes on all the time. Just turn those people over to God. The way you grow through misunderstanding is when you see that God is your protector. And God's going to take care of this business. It's not up to you. Well, will God come through? Can we, can we depend on Him? I want you to turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel 18. Now I want to read verse 10. Hold your place in Psalm 140. Now it came about on the next day that an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul. That is, an evil spirit that God permitted. And he raved in the midst of the house while David was playing the harp with his hands as usual. And a spear was in Saul's hand. And Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped from his presence twice. Now I want you to know that Saul was a man um, twice the size of David, and he was a skilled uh, military warrior, uh, expert in, in, as, in a, as, with a javelin, and he could probably hurl that spear and hit a bullseye across the road. And so I want you to get the picture. Here's David sitting in the same room with Saul and has this spear in his hand and he hurls that thing at David to pin him against the wall and missed him twice. Why? Because God is his protector. I want you to turn over to chapter 19, verse 9. 
Now there was an evil spirit from the Lord on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing the harp with his hand. And Saul tried to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away out of Saul's presence so that the spear stuck into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. God is his protector. And the truth is that God will deliver man out of the hand of the evil one. I want you to turn to chapter 23, verse 24. Just in case you need some proof that God will take care of you if you just turn these situations over to Him. 1 Samuel 23, verse 24. Then they arose and went to Ziph before Saul... Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in the Arabah to the south of Jejimon. When Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David, and he came down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard it, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. And here they go, one was on one side of the mountain and the other's on the other. And Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were surrounding David and his men to seize them. Had him cornered, had him trapped. About that time a messenger comes to Saul saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid on the land. While you're doing this business of chasing after David, the Philistines have come and they're taking over the land. So Saul returned from pursuing David and went to meet the Philistines. Therefore they called that place the Rock of Escape. Now, let's go back to Psalm 140. And I want to begin reading at verse 9. Pits from which they cannot rise. May a slanderer not be established in the earth. May evil hunt the violent men speedily. Let me tell you, the most miserable people in the world are people who have misunderstood because the hounds of heaven are after them. Here's what he says. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and justice for the poor. Surely... The righteous will give thanks to thy name. The upright will dwell in thy presence, period. Let's go to sleep. Let's rest. But God's going to take care of this situation. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to spend my time churning in the stomach because God's going to take care of this. Let's just go to sleep. Let's go to trust Him take care of that. Now, when I looked at this verse 13, the upright will dwell in thy presence, that, you know, all of us live in the presence of the Lord. There, there must be more to that. So I want you to turn one last place, and that's Psalm 16. Psalm 16. And the verse is 12, the last verse. It's a great sound here in those... Verses, those pages turn to the verse. I guess it's verse 11, the last verse. Thou wilt make known to me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy right hand thou are pleasures forevermore. 
But let me just kind of add, you know, draw the bottom line and sum this up. What I believe to be something, uh, a marvelous discovery is this. The need, I think, is not uh, to hope that in life we'll never be misunderstood. I think the need is to come to the place when we're misunderstood and there is an offense. And the harder you work at it to try to work it out, the worse it gets is to learn to turn those situations over to God and depend on Him to be your protector. And the fullness of joy and the fullness of life comes when you work through those kind of things to that victory. And there is no fullness of joy, a fullness of life, like the joy and the victory of being able to turn a situation like that over and watch God work it out. Now, how He does it, I don't know, but He just does it. One of the most profound things that ever happened to me as a young Christian, I, I can remember the, uh, the night that I was a senior, I gave my life to the Lord and I surrendered to preach. I mean, I, I, just, I came back to God and I really gave Him all of my life. And there was this guy in my class at school, just, he and I just, and we, we lived just like that. We just had a hard time getting along. And I knew that he was going to hear about what I did and the first thing he's going to do to me the next morning is going to you know, make fun of me and, make some smart crack about it. And I didn't know how I was going to handle that. But I can remember, I'll never get away from this. I can remember saying to the Lord, just praying to the Lord, and you know, if this is really real and what I've done, I, I, there's a situation going to confront me tomorrow. I'm just going to depend on you to work out. And I can remember that, a true story, not mini, this is not ministerial uh, embellishment. I can remember when I walked into school, he started up to me and started to say something smart and just turned and walked away. And I had this confirmation that God was my protector. The 26th president of the United States was a misunderstood man. He often lived in the arena and was assaulted by his critics. This is what he wrote. I'm going to read this and this is it. We'll wrap it up. It's not the critics who count, not the man who points out how, strong, how the strong man stumbles or, or where doers of deeds could have done it better. The credit belongs to the man who is in the arena, whose face is marred with sweat and dust and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again. For there is no error without... It's no effort without error and shortcoming. Who does actually try to do the deeds knows the great involvement, the great devotion. Who spends himself in a worthy cause and who at the worst, if he fails, fails doing greatly? Far better is it to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumph both checkered by failure and misunderstanding, than to rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy nor suffer because they live in the gray twilight and know neither victory nor defeat. Now what he's saying is this. Blessed is the man who involves himself in the arena where he's going to be misunderstood for he's far better than the man who never does anything 
and knows neither victory nor defeat. Let's pray together. Father, we know that in living for you, living our life, we're going to be misunderstood. We know that our Savior was the mis most misunderstood man who ever lived. And we depend tonight upon the fact that you'll protect us if we have the courage and the grace, the strength and the will to commit these matters to you. And we pray not that we might be delivered from misunderstanding. We pray for growth, that we might be strong in the broken places. Because I pray in Jesus' name and for His sake, amen. I'd like to give an invitation tonight because I believe that every, every service ought to conclude with a time of decision, public decision. And I invite you tonight to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you've never done that. To invite Him into your heart. To accept Him as your Savior, the Savior for, for your sin. And receive His gift of eternal life. I'd invite you tonight to join the church if God has led you to place your life here. My invitation is for you to give your heart, heart and life totally to Christ in a moment of rededication, a recommitment. We invite you to do that as we stand to sing. Out of the lead us, we invite you to come. <clears throat>